Bonus Tracks is the official blog of Spotlight On, online at spotlightonpodcast.com slash blog. There you'll find additional artist interviews, music commentary, and more. Have a look. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight is on Gabriel Jacob Luansing who produces music under the name Mr. Master. For over six years, Gabriel has been working on an ever-expanding experimental hip-hop project called Ultra, which, as of this recording, currently spans 138 songs over six hours. Ultra is a project meant to be dived deep into, and we do, discussing the intention and the aims of the project, artistic identity, and much more. We would like to encourage listeners to spend some time with even a small part of Ultra before listening to this discussion. Ideally, listen to it on Shuffle. We're including a link to the project in the show notes. Please enjoy Ultra and my discussion with Gabriel Jacob Luansing, a.k.a. Mr. Master. So, I spent a bunch of time with your work. There's a lot I want to get into. And I wonder if we could start, though, I had a question about the Mr. Master name. Right. And I've read you talking about it, and I've heard you talk about it in other places. But what I'm mostly curious about for now, is that simply your stage name, or is it a persona? And secondary to that, is that who I'm speaking to now? I'm going to simultaneously attempt to answer this question briefly, directly, and indirectly answer this question for the duration of this interview. That is the nature of this project. It gets to the core of identity, and it's become inseparable to me in a metaphorical sense. I mean, in a practical sense. It's funny how relevant this question is given recent information. So a few days ago, Paul Rubens, I don't know if you heard, Paul Rubens of Pee Wee Herman fame passed away. And I had a bit of a moment because during the beginnings of Ultra 2016-2017, his work was present in my mind and I would see him in his show and his in-person interviews. And he would be Pee Wee Herman on late night and whatnot. He would be out in public as Pee Wee Herman, not as Paul Rubens. And he would do other things as the actor, Paul Rubens. But there was this real inseparability with him and his character. And I considered that early on. If I was going to pursue this Gabriel person, Mr. Master Artist path, I could easily be the person on record right now, which is to say jokey, witty, all that. And practically speaking, it's the human, the being, the Gabriel that you are talking to. It is a night and day distinction. It's almost not a distinction at all. It's a stage persona. It doesn't get it doesn't get more complicated than that in my mind. If we speak metaphorically, then that's where all the richness of exploration comes into it. Things could get more complicated given the fact that this project, which I haven't even gone into yet, really, but I began it in 2017 and kept it up since then. 
I'll say at the beginning, because I don't know if you caught this, but during the creation of Ultra, its initial release in 2017, on my birthday, by the way, my 21st birthday, I put out the first 15 songs of Ultra. You know, it's like inseparability. I can't celebrate my birthday, which I just did yesterday, my 27th birthday. I can't celebrate my birthday without celebrating the project because I intentionally linked them there. During that time when I first put the project out, I wore the same orange hoodie, which you see maybe in social media and all that and cover art. I wore that same exact hoodie for a year and a half straight. It was the only outfit that I wore as an intentional act of dedication to the project. The first 30 songs that you hear were in the studio at Cal State Northridge, recorded in that hoodie, the same one, just washing it, reusing it every day as almost one big extended performance art piece. That element was floating around in there too. A kind of, I'm going to live my life as this, a bit of a show at the time. I mean, this is 21-year-old with marijuana affected me making these kinds of decisions where it's like, I'm going to do this performance art something for this year and a half and be this character question mark, right? Like I was kind of just wearing a certain clothes. I was me still, right? So that question is really at the heart of Ultra. And as I've shown here, there are many different paths that we could walk down to try and answer it, knowing there's no definitive answer. I'm sure we'll stumble upon more as we continue. Well, I appreciate you meeting me there with the question, because I know some people don't like to unpack sort of process or how they think about these things. But one more way station here before we start to get into, because we do need to provide the context and story of Ultra. Does Mr. Master have, is there a fictional universe? Is there a story? Have you fleshed out the character or is it literally, like you said earlier, it's a stage name and it doesn't have to be more complicated than that? The latter. It's not the Ultra extended universe type thing. Part of me could leave it at that of like, no, like is the answer to that question to kind of riff on it for the littlest bit. Maybe we'll get into this too. As I've grown older, the project, the music that I make has become more zoomed out. It's the vision of it has broadened as mine just in life has broadened. I mean, globally, life itself, existentially, just turning things all the way outward. Part of me has a bit of a, it might be even a strong word to say gripe, But the notion of creating fictional universes with the implication of, I'm trying to use a word that doesn't really have a tinge to it. Because abandon is very strong. Evacuate is equally strong. Escape, a more neutral synonym for all of those words, this universe. Ultra is decidedly not escapist. You know, if there is an extended universe of Ultra, it's actually the universe, given the reference frame. I'm drawing from all these different concepts from all these different disciplines. So it's not like there's a origin story in some distant far off planet. It's like, it's Earth. The world I live in is this one. So it's all very present in the now, in the real world, which is another thing to the whole they're not being a distinction really for me. It's also interesting 
to hear that point of view, given that there is sort of a fantastic element to Ultra. Like if you said to me, it actually is the soundtrack for this magical world, I would believe that as well. (laughs) Well, to that point, if we're framing it as a soundtrack to a world, I have for years actually framed it in my mind as being the soundtrack to this world in the near future. I'm not Mm. saying there are people who make like IDM stuff and their stuff sounds like from 100 years into the future. Bleep, bloopy, electronic stuff. I mean, cool. That's kind of beyond me and my aesthetic sensibilities. For me, I'm thinking, okay, what does hip hop sound like 15 years from now, given the state of things and all the things that uh, qualify as that? I mean, right before this, I was watching an interview with just to name drop a guy named Daniel Schmachtenberger. This is the kind of content that I'm consuming lately, where it's the meta crisis, as it is dubbed by him and other people, just the crisis of crises and sense making of crises and the lack of recognition of interconnectivity between everything going on in the world right now. Trying not to go too off the rails with all this, but this is in my frame of reference. Taking all of that into account and having it siphoned through hip-hop music. What does that look like? Because it seems now that that overlap would just not occur because people don't have that kind of vision, not to be all called out or anything, but if you're making hip-hop music the way that people do now, you're probably not thinking about the way the world is falling apart, how civilization is collapsing. That's on my mind and not at all in a doom and gloom sense. It's like, how do we get ourselves out of this? The project, which we still haven't gone to, but the project as in the music that I make all the time, the main focus for me, the vision has kind of shifted from let me make the best music that I can to this is my answer to what I want the future to look like Mm. or like kind of everyone. This is something that I'm only just beginning to figure out even like five, six years into the project. But yes, to that point, if there were a soundtrack, it is this world 15 years from now. I don't want to draw conclusions from what you're saying or overlay meaning on it, but what I'm hearing is that it's the soundtrack of a possible future, maybe a a potentially positive. I don't even know if you're coloring it with value yet, but it sounds like you're trying to paint a picture of a possible way forward. This all sounds very activist and glittery, shimmery, whatnot, especially just imagining it from the perspective of someone who hasn't heard my stuff and hears it and they'll hear the noisiness of it. And they're like, but this is the person who's making it. It's not like I'm making Woody Guthrie type of activist music or anything. There is an abrasiveness, an off-the-wall kind of sense of humor. And I feel that all factors into what I feel the future could look like if we, as a species, moved in the direction of interconnectivity. That's the thing. So taking it all into consideration, and even if it is not for the best, because I don't say civilizational collapse lightly, that's very heavy. It's not that that's not heavy. It's just that through the creation of this project, I've strengthened my shoulders, metaphorically speaking. It's not a future that is better per se. It is a future that is truer and more knowledgeable and present in what it exactly is all of it and i feel that presence that mindfulness is good right so it's not optimism for optimism's sake it's truth 
all truth, capital T truth, striving for that. A couple things as we pivot to give people the what is ultra. For the benefit of you knowing as we have this conversation, what we will probably do in the days leading up to this podcast dropping is we will probably encourage our audience to spend time with Ultra. So we'll start to talk about it a couple of days before we drop the podcast because I certainly benefited from spending time with it. Hopefully this conversation will reflect that. And I think that for a listener, it might be more, I'll say fun. I don't know. I've Maybe that's the wrong word, but I want to be equally as careful about choosing words now because I sense you you are pretty deliberate. It will be... I think a very specific experience to consume the music before having any meaning overlaid by the artist. And so I'd like to try to introduce it to people in advance of our conversation. With all that said, what is Ultra? Okay, so it stuns me at first, that question, and I'll be asking it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. The elevator pitch answer is Ultra is... uh, project a collection of music that i began in 2017 as i mentioned before on august 1st 2017 my 21st birthday i released 15 songs in this unique style of hip-hop music kind of cartoony samples jokey pop culture obscure reference types of lyrics a la mf doom that kind of precedent i also saw that you posted Somewhat recently about going to an ultramagnetic concert. Cool Keith is in the DNA of Ultra. So I saw you post that and I was like, okay, cool. Did I hear a Dr. Octagon, a Dr. Octagon ecologist name drop in one of your raps? I thought I did. The first song on Ultra has (laughs) that reference in it. So at the (laughs) core, like he's in there. Cool Keith is in there. So 15 songs I put out in 2017. A year later, I put out 15 more songs on SoundCloud, and I add them to the same playlist. The reason why this project is exclusively on SoundCloud is because I can do that. I can just have Mm -hmm. them be on the same playlist and add songs after and have it still be the same album. So like the simple way of explaining it is I put out an album in 2017 and have kept adding songs onto that same album since then. I call it project because album has implications, but project, more broadly speaking, it's that. And so... 15, 2017, 15 more, 2018, and then one by one, adding more songs to the point now where it currently sits, as of this recording, at 138 songs. It's just over six hours of music. I put something out yesterday, last night, for my 27th birthday. Nothing fancy or anything, but the ongoing nature of the project is what makes it. And that's the actual music end of things in the simplest terms in the broadest terms, is, you know, switch Mr. Master out with Ultra and Gabriel out with, like, life itself. And then it's the same kind of question where it's not really a matter of art imitating life. It's art being life, the indistinguishability of that. And again, I feel that's just such a broad question that we'll keep circling back to answering it throughout this time. If everything I've spoken about so far as any indication. I am only beginning to scratch the surface. We're not talking about songs specifically or anything with the music in particular yet. There's so much we could dive into that at the simplest level. Ultra is a project that is ongoing that I plan to continue for the rest of my life. 
I started it in 2017 and I was not thinking, here's a 15 song album. I was thinking, these are the first 15 songs of something I plan to continue as long as I am able to continue it. Let me take one step aside for a moment and talk about some of your other work in relation or through the lens of Ultra. And then I think we're just going to have to keep weaving in and out of Ultra itself or we'll never get to any other topics. (laughs) And there are (laughs) other things I want to talk about, but I do sense we'll keep looping back to it. Is it a stylistic parameter which determines what goes into Ultra and what becomes part of one of your other projects? Ooh, the way that I talk about these things and we'll continue to talk about them, it sounds like it could get very cerebral and intricate with every element of the music making process. In that case, it's a gut feeling and I try not to brain my way out of it because I feel at the core of me, I am an artist. I'm not some philosopher, big brain thinker type. I make music, I make art, and I feel an important part of that is trusting my gut when I make something like, let's say, I wonder who she's kissing now, just as one song of the many of that project. That song is a cover of a song by the band TV Girl, a song that has existed for years and years that I first found years and years ago that has not made its way to streaming services in any capacity which always was like, oh, to me. So I was like, why not just make it myself? So I redid the instrumental and was ready to put it out. And I was like, wait a second, I could just put this out as a cover just separately. And that's a very valid argument. My gut said this is ultra, partly because of the personal historical aspect to it. I knew all the words of that song because I found it in like high school or something. Again, the art-life interconnection there This is just part of my personal life and I feel makes sense in the context of of an artistic project that is meant to capture my personal life in some direct and indirect way simultaneously. Also, stylistically, doo-wop, 50s, 60s, that kind of era. I sample a lot from that era, just technically the level of sampling. So the sonic quality of it fits too. So case study, that's on there. Likewise, I realized that I could start a separate something aside from Ultra for these covers of songs from Broadway musicals that I wanted to start for funsies. It's not some big fancy thing. It's just I kind of want to record myself singing a Broadway song because I like musical theater and I could have done that separate. But my gut was like, this is Ultra 2. And, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't listened to the project. There's like 15 or so songs on the project now that are just me singing karaoke over Broadway musical instrumentals. It's just a cover. There's like an album's worth of those in there too, alongside all the hip hop music. That's another thing where it doesn't have to get as complicated. And I mean, so I put out an album last year, actually on my 26th birthday called Someone Somewhere. And the idea of that being ultra just didn't even enter my mind. And maybe that was the point that it got way more to the heart of things for me and not really the brain stuff. There wasn't much to think about. If you happen to listen to that album, it's way more personal experiences, way more emotion to it. That is just very clearly not part of the project. And it's so funny because the project Ultra is so present in my mind that I kind of forget sometimes that I do stuff like that. But yeah, 
I'll say briefly too, because when I first heard the question, I thought it was going in the direction of what content goes into specific songs. And just to speak briefly to that, what I just said, but zoomed in more into the writing of an ultra song where I draw from a bunch of different disciplines, history, science, academic, this and that from all over the place. But it's not like I'll hear some esoteric mathematical concept and just think that's going on ultra for the sake of esotericity automatically. There's even then a curatorial aspect to it Mm -hmm. where if it doesn't light something up within me, it doesn't go on ultra either. So even within ultra, within a specific song, I draw from a lot of references. It's not just anything either. I'm constantly consuming different information from different fields and certain things catch my ear and only those things end up going in ultra. That took a long time to cultivate. So discernment is key in both ultra at the macro level, what goes in, what goes out, and the micro, what goes in and out of a particular song. Discernment is key. When I listen to the non-ultra projects, you mentioned someone somewhere and there was inside, outside, upside down. What struck me was the word you didn't use as you were describing the emotionalism around that work, which is there's a real vulnerability to it. (laughs) Yes. And it's somewhere between the subject matter and the singing. Mm. The singing is very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not entirely the expert in ultra, (laughs) I don't know when singing entered your toolkit or when you decided to use it in your work. Did the first 15 or 30 ultra songs include singing or did singing was singing something that came later? I remember trying to sing as early as high school, just trying to reflect on it. Now I started in middle school. I started in 2013 and have kept it up consistently since then. Eventually it very prominently became a part of the project and the Broadway part of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't really thought about this. I sing on blue screen of love, which is part of that first 30. And I mean, on Perky and the Straw, I guess, but it's like, yeah, the vulnerability is not something that I include in ultra often outside of rare moments like doubt, which is where I wrestle with my doubts facing the project. That was a very vulnerable song and I'm proud of it to this day. But yes, I guess one way to frame Mr. Master to return to that is almost like a superhero version of myself, which is to say cartoony, dramatic, heightened version without any vulnerability that is here to save the day with his invincible brain, blah, blah. Yes, if there were a distinction to draw, that's a very good one. And one that I don't know if I would be able to catch being a person inside of it. Maybe to a technical point too, this comes to mind. When I'm recording really any ultra song, especially ones that are super dense and long with the vocals and everything, I'll record myself doing one line over and over and over again, because the way I write can get very tongue twistery. Diction is very important there. And I'm also a perfectionist, really, because I really want to get what I'm saying out there in the most clear way that I can, which means being very technically specific with pronunciation and whatnot. So I'll do the same take, the same line, one line over and over and over again. With those two albums, there are songs, especially with the one more recent, Someone Somewhere, the majority of verses you hear, the 16-bar verses, the whole verses, it's one take. And that was intentional to be like, there's a chance where I could mess up here. And there are times where I did. 
and you leave it in. You don't edit it out. You don't try to make it better. You don't try to optimize for any sort of bigger intellectually whatever goal. It's like you let yourself mess up, especially the poems, right? So that's another kind of thing in my toolkit as an artist. I have written spoken word poetry pretty consistently through my artistic career as well on that album, Someone Somewhere. The last four songs, if I recall correctly, are spoken word poems with no musical element to them. And those are definitely like, that's one take. And just to the point of vulnerability, the song, I think I lost her, has no musical background. I don't know if you noticed. And that's for a reason. Because it's the heaviest thing that I've ever written. That's the most vulnerable I've ever been on record. And perhaps for a number of reasons, a number of reasons, I wouldn't include that on Ultra. Like, that's way more the person, you know. And I did a few takes of that, got the take you here, and was like, I am not... Even, I don't think I've listened to that song since I put it out. Like, it's too much. And I guess to have that be a demonstration of artistic quality too where I feel getting to the emotional root of it all. Because that poem, it gets deep. I don't even know if I want to speak too much to it, but it's a very tender point for me with a whole story behind it involving the person that it's about. I'll leave that at that, though. But yes, I feel, to put it dramatically, why not? True artistry is heading straight for vulnerability and what makes you most vulnerable. I would hope that in some indirect way, the fact that I dealt with that outside of the project reflects in the project too, in the trueness, the honesty of spirit of that project, like in, mm-hmm. in an indirect way. But yes, I never, as big brain as I get with it, I never want to lose the part of my artistry that goes, I'm going through something in my life and music is a way I deal with it. That's more for outside of the project. Music is how I cope. Like, I never want to forget that's the case for me. Yeah, I get the segregation of the uses of the different projects or the... Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We'll be back with more Spotlight On after this break. Did you know that Spotlight On is completely self-funded by the team that produces it? We're always looking for ways to keep the podcast self-sufficient without sacrificing the listener experience or the integrity of the show. The best way we could think to do that was to ask for the support of our listeners. Please consider making a donation to help cover our annual operating expenses. Go to SpotlightOnPodcast.com and click the word Donate. If you can, please do. If you cannot, please don't worry about it. Just continue to enjoy the show. We're happy to have you as a listener. Thanks. And now, back to Spotlight On. I wanted to ask you the next set of questions, and I don't want to direct your answers in any way, but I wonder if you might cooperate with the way I want to ask the question, which is I want to talk to you about influences, mm. but I want to bracket them. I want to, I want to talk specifically about first hip hop influences and then ask you about other influences, but I, I don't want to, I don't want it to sprawl across types yet. So I wonder if we could start by just talking about hip hop and who you were listening to and what inspired you and who you aspire to be like, if anyone, you know, what, what's, what's the world of hip hop for you? Thank you for that structure, by the way, I am one to sprawl. So <laughs> when I first started out, my first inspirations were nerdcore hip hop artists. 
specifically MC Frenelot, oh. alongside people like MC Lars. Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Frenelot, we could do a whole episode on him. Yes, we could. There's not a lot of people to talk to about him, at least in my world. So <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy to hear his name. But yes, incredible. So, incredible. Yes, he is. So it's not at all far-fetched to say that he is the reason that I rap in the first place. The reason that any of this started is because I found his stuff. Just to his flow, yes, yes. And honestly, the conversationality of my flow where I feel, I hope, I strive for it to just sound like I'm talking the way I do now, except it's over a beat, but still has all the rhythmic intention to it. That's honestly him. Like, I hear that in his stuff to this day. Like, you know, you say wanting to be more like that in the future. I mean, like, there's part of me that still kind of wants to reach that standard, though I don't frame things in terms of comparison or anything. That aspect of his work specifically is something that stuck with me. Beyond the nerdy stuff, even, it's just he's a good rapper. Like, he just doesn't get the credit he deserves outside of just being, oh, what a cool nerdy guy. It's not novelty music. Absolutely not. It's not. It, it is not. It is not. In fact, if anything, it speaks to the big tent that is hip hop. We're talking about a genre that everybody's running around talking about how it's 50 years old now. Right. And I can't think of anything outside of the 50 years since, let's call it like 1915 or 1920, add 50 years and the way jazz progressed. Like rock and roll over 50 years is basically just, it's just been in terminal stasis for decades. But the idea that hip hop can still draw stuff in, draw people in, draw cultures in, draw voices in, and then give them a space to thrive. It's sort of stunning. Like it's, I'm not intellectual enough to have a real thesis about it, but I'm a music lover enough to be completely floored by it. It's never ending. Absolutely. That brings up for me both the community gathering aspect alongside, and maybe they interrelate, the community gathering with the technical aspect of the music itself. I'll say briefly just to name names as initial influences alongside MC Frontalot because I made an MC Frontalot Pandora station when I was in high school. And I found, what, MC Paul Barman through that and Doom and E. Dawn and Cool Keith. That's what I was first hearing when I was first writing. It wasn't even like stuff on the radio. It's like that was my introduction to hip hop music. That's the groundwork that was laid for me. So it's been just building on those influences from there, really out there influences. That was the start. Yeah, I mean, to the ever-changing aspect of hip-hop now, as long as I've been doing it, I'm not going to lie, like, there are points where I feel stagnant with the project. I mean, it's gone, like, five, six years now. And part of me wonders, like, you know, I can feel myself getting into certain rhythms where I don't know if other people catch it, but I'm like, I've been sitting with this project, with this vision, with this style for how long now? And I can sense myself kind of getting into might be a bit to say ruts, but it feels that way of like, until I find some people like these artists called Lungs and Feet. And along with them, people like YL and Starker and Akai Solo and these people who are in this underground New York scene that are experimenting with this style that is just the most refreshing thing I've heard in hip hop in my life. <laughs> like it's one of the few times that I've, heard music and instantly was like why would i rap like anything else right now like this speaks so much to my aesthetic sense of how i want to approach music 
the song that I put out yesterday is in that style. And to try and to fail to capture it in words, it's this really unorthodox sample loop for the instrumental. And it sounds like just writing rap lyrics and reciting them as fast as you can with no consideration for rhythmic structure or bars or anything. It's like you're just talking as fast as you can. And something about that was like, this is it for me. And so I've been experimenting with that style. And I'm just striving to be, I don't want to say be like them, but I have enough of an established style and vision for that. It was taking the technical parts of that style and fusing it with the vision and voice that I already cultivated through Ultra and just trying more and more songs like that. It helps that it's an easy thing to make of simple instrumental, right, lyrics with no rhythmic structure to them and just talk as fast as you can. I can knock that out in a night, and I literally did last night, and I plan to continue to. I would speak to future influences, but they transcend the hip-hop space. So that I oh, guess so that be... that's my next. That, yes, so let's yeah. now now so now let's go the next ring in the circle. Let's stay within music in terms of influences, but outside of hip hop. Maybe to just continue the point that I was on, I think part of what resonates with me so much with this style now, which I wish had a name, but I, and I don't know if I'm the type to coin names for emerging genres or anything, but this super fast rap style or anything, I realized after just freaking out over how cool I thought this was that I was like, wait a second, this is spoken word kind of. This is just very, very fast spoken word in that it's a free flowing stream of consciousness approach to delivery. I heard Andrea Gibson and they've been putting out poetry records for years and years now that I've appreciated so much. And so that's someone I'm still striving to be like in the spoken word space. Also. I don't know if you know about Sleaford Mods, but they're a punk band out of the UK who've been making stuff for years and years and years. There's a precedent for that in punk too, where it's this simple kind of loop of just drums, bass, that's it. And the person's just kind of ranting with no consideration for rhythmic structure. And lately too, I hear that style and I hear drum solo i hear a free jazz drum solo plus scat singing like morph those two and it's that style of vocal music it's less about what is being said it's not really the lyrics it's the rhythm of the consonants and the vowels i remember i was showing a video of a performance of songs in this style to a friend of mine and he was like I'm not even listening to what he says anymore. I'm just letting it wash over me. And I was like, that's a way different way to listen to rap music. But it is something that feels very natural in a jazz kind of setting. So honestly, now with that particular style, and honestly, it's been present for me too. If you listen to the instrumentals, by the way, I have on my SoundCloud profile a good amount of the instrumentals, partly because I am proud of those instrumentals as a producer beyond the lyrics. We could have a whole thing talking about just production. And how jazz drums, the freeness of that factors into my production style in terms of drum programming. There's a few outside of hip hop. Other genres are less present to me. They're less at the forefront of my mind. If there is one, it's probably jazz with how freeform it can be. 
wanting to achieve that same kind of thinking person's kind of music. With some exceptions, probably a good amount of exceptions, I see this project way more as a kind of you sit and you listen to it like you would listen to a jazz record and just get really into all the intricacies of it all. If we expand the circle again to more broadly either other art forms, the cultural landscape. I remember reading something with you from a while back where your political awareness was awakening. Like, yes. Now, what are the things from the world around you outside of music that you pick up on and integrate? I actually mentioned earlier about this man, Daniel Schmachtenberger. In terms of writing style, substance-wise, content-wise, what I'm saying beyond how I'm saying it, it's something like him and thinkers in that space. Part of me wants to name drop Tristan Harris right now, the guy who was in Social Dilemma and is really anti-social media in my assessment of how he views things. Taking those kinds of similar views and putting those on a hip-hop record. Way bigger existential, anthropological, neurophysiological, like it's been so much this huge shift from where it started, which was pop culture references, mainly being the substance of the project. Now it's it's neuroscience, it's cultural anthropology, it's evolutionary biology, it's STEM, it's so STEM, it's engineering, it's science, it's math. It's funny thinking about it now, it's like, it's been a big shift. I'll say too that there's another thinker by the name of Jamie Wheel. He wrote a few books, one called Stealing Fire about flow states and one called Recapture the Rapture, which is one about the liminal state we're in as a species and all that. I have read neither, but I have seen interviews with him and the other people that I'm talking about too. And in terms of what inspires me to write, it's those kinds of visions. It's not like I hear a rap record now and content-wise something will get inspired within me. It's big brain like I'm listening to this. I'm listening to literally this like conversations like between two people talking about the biggest problems humanity has ever faced which are the ones we are facing now. To bring it back actually to songwriting as maybe not coping but Outside of Ultra, there are certain songs where I start the song and I figure something out throughout the song, and it'll be something emotionally. It'll be a similar process intellectually for Ultra. So stylistically, there are a bunch of different genres and skits and other one-offs that I do across the project. There's this through line of a kind of song where it's just one big rap verse. Maybe you've noticed. Probably the centerpiece of that kind of style is Inside Baseball. 18 minutes, one big rap verse. Using that style, that's as pure of ultra as it gets for me, where it's just me trying to figure the world out and taking all the information I've gathered across my travel on the internet and just sitting down and making sense of it all and it'll be the same kind of process where I'll take a point that I get from an outside thinker about the world and I'll end up with my spin on it. Because I don't want to just regurgitate people's points. I want to try and add something new. And maybe regurgitating a novel point is new. If I can help it, I would want to have my voice be in there too. Especially lately in songs like that, 
these one big versus songs, it'll have this philosophizing type of quality to it. And that's where I get that from. And how it translates into a finished product, I'm not sure. If I'm inspired by anything, it's the parsing. Because I'll see these thinkers and I'll name drop another. I just watched a conversation series where it's just two guys talking and these guys, Jordan Hall, John Verveke, I've been aware of their work for a long time. And they're just talking about governance and how all that is meant to continue in the face of everything. Truthfully, I don't know if I'm going to get anything that'll translate to a lyric out of that. Anything that I can have written as a finished product, but the writing, the processing, that's what's really lighting me up. Where almost the end result, I'm not even trying to make it be a good song at the end of the day. This is just me trying to figure things out. And those are the people, a few people that are figuring things out, the same things in inspiring ways for me. Do you ever revisit or change or update something that's already published in Ultra? Or is it once it's published, it's fixed? I I laugh immediately after you said that because I put the song I put out yesterday under the title Onward. And a few hours later, I was like, I'm going to change the name. And I changed it to Heartsworn because I felt like it was better. So that happens very rarely. But in the broadest sense, no. And that's an intentional decision, too, because I don't think it's uncommon for artists to feel the same thing. If you put something out years ago and you listen back to it and you're like, oh, I could totally do this better. And I still have the project files. I could literally just go in the project file and change it. Like I just add something here and there. But that's an intentional thing, too, of if I did that, then the time spent editing the past is time not spent creating the future to kind of get philosophical too. That applies to artistry and life, I guess. And I would much rather just from like an efficiency standpoint of like, it's just part of the project is me wanting to make the best music that I can. There's also a real motivator to just have the track list to be big. You know, I just like the idea that a year ago I said it was 100 and now it's 138. And if I'm striving for that, then all I need to do is add more stuff on it. I'm not saying add stuff for the sake of it that is not hardly worked on. But if I'm working so much on a certain song that it prevents me from making something new, I'll select for that. I'm speaking to specific experiences where I'm like, I'm literally going to rage quit this song. That's happened a few times where I'm like, I don't like how this is going and I'm just going to finish it to have it be finished. And then I'll move on. because. Ultra's not supposed to be my flawless magnum opus. It's me figuring things out. So that's at the songwriting level, specifically for one song. And there's whole songs where, you know, you try and figure something out. You try and see an idea through and it doesn't work out. I could easily go back to those songs that I'm thinking of right now that are that. And I'm not saying them because maybe you'll think they're cool if you hear them. So it's like, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's the bad one. Like, go ahead. I could easily go back to one of those songs and fix it. No, that's part of the story. You know, I'm not one to edit. That's a chapter in this book. Yeah, that's a part of the story. And it's not supposed to be the best story. It's supposed to be the truest story. I don't shelve songs. Rarely do I do that. Yeah, definitely not for Ultra. I'm like, I'm going to put this out. And if there's room for improvement, I'll improve with the next song. That's my mentality. Mm. 
Are there models, either literally or maybe like spiritually, in other artwork for Ultra? Like, like do you say, oh, so and so built a one work over the course of a lifetime, and it was a mural or a an installation, or you know, I think of like Lamont Young, like some of his installation pieces. Are there models for what you're doing? I don't know who that is. Can you please tell me like who that is? Like their work. He does very atmospheric, drone-based, ambient sound and light installations, not always in gallery settings. Like it, they started off more as like happenings in the loft scene in New York in the 60s and 70s. I'm going to I'm going to butcher it, but there's at least one piece that's been running for decades. Mm. But I don't know to what extent it's modified. It, that's sort of a limit of my knowledge about this, but but I'm curious as to whether do you have any sort of like spiritual predecessors who have charted this course? Yes, a few and only a few. So it makes me very excited to hear another person. I'm like, I've never heard oh, somebody else is doing this. Cool. Because it's very few. I mean, somebody who dedicates their life to one big project. Without going into too much personal detail, 2018 had like 32 songs of the project out. Went through a big change in my life. Moved back home from Cal State Northridge where I went for a bit. And I moved back home to San Diego, which where I'm from and all. And it was a very big, sudden shift. And I had a lot of healing to do during that time. Luckily, in that time, I found out about this artist, Henry Darger. He's this renowned outsider artist who became renowned after he passed away. From what I can recall, he was a loner type of guy all his life until he died at 80, I want to say. He was renting this room from some people. And so when he passes away, the people he was renting the room from clear the room out and they find stacks and stacks of artwork and a novel that's thousands of pages long. I saw that and found out about that story. And now, you know, they're getting shown in galleries and all that. But that story stays at the heart of me of being like so that piece i think you read with pigeons and planes that blog interview that was a whole story it really made me feel like i was onto something like i'm about to get this huge stage that i want where i can change things in the culture of hip-hop and all that i mean i had visions for that back then i didn't have the means or anything i didn't have the specific ideas not like i do now it got me really excited that i was about to potentially get a bigger social media following a bigger audience more draw and all this and then my life kind of fell from underneath me and i hit rock bottom and i found that story there of like oh right when i was in middle school i wasn't thinking about any of that i was doing it for me i hear his story as the definition of he did it for him. It's like, if there's any sort of proof that you can just stay true and committed for its own sake, there's precedent for that. It's not like some ideal you have to try and make real in our unideal world. It happened. And it's like, okay, so that kind of grounds me. There's that. And I really just ran with that story for however long I've run with it. And then only recently, this is something I might end up butchering because I don't really have it as present in my mind, given all the other information that I'm constantly mulling over in my mind. There was this one guy, I think he passed away recently, 
And he basically built a cathedral and had his life's vision to build a cathedral completely on his own. And it's a cathedral. Like it's this big structure with stained glass and like walls that he built himself. And it's years and years of work. And I found out about that through social media and was like, huh. So something like that, really that one story is at the core of me as being something that really stays with me. Like his story specifically. Other than that, I feel like it's rare. And that's the thing. It's like, I haven't seen too many people who are like, I'm just going to go all in on this one thing. There's him. But, you know, the hope would be to kind of be a predecessor spiritually for people in the future, just to show that this is a thing that can be Hmm. done. Hopefully. I'm curious as to whether, because I I have sort of observed in, in the bit I was able to glean from sort of interviews and things with you over the last several years, your perspectives definitely evolved or how you've spoken about the work has evolved. Have you had any interactions with like music or hip hop press or gatekeepers? And if so, how do they treat you or how do they react to what you're doing? Very interesting question. The only one that I've ever had is the one that I mentioned previously, like I just mentioned with Pigeons and Planes, because I submitted the project when it was 15 songs, or I don't even know if it might have, it was very early on when I submitted Ultra to Pigeons and Planes, that big blog. And then a year later, randomly out of nowhere, the creator of that blog emails me and says, hey, I want to talk to you. And I feel that he got where I was at where whatever I was able to have at that time, pretty limited, but the project was focused on the entertainment aspect. I remember seeing a tweet of his saying something like, I just met an artist who wants to turn his music into a traveling circus and now all other artists' goals seem trivial. Something like that. Not too far off from that. that I remember that. I was like, okay, he gets it. I have to feel good. Yeah, I mean, it's an ambitious thing. It's a big goal. To have that be seen by someone was very meaningful. That's the only time it was ever seen. And part of me tries not to get jaded about the industry and being like, nobody's going to understand, you know? But part of me justifies it in my mind as also just being a more time spent trying to break into the industry is less time spent creating i would much rather create especially if there is a precedent of somebody who just created purely for their own sake with no industry or anything in mind i don't know i would hope that if somebody had the kind of patience and it takes patience i'm not saying you have to listen to six hours of music or anything but oh i made it and there's all this other supplemental content the other interviews and the the genius pages the lyrics pages which are pretty well annotated up to a point it's a lot of content and to elevator pitch it in this hyper speed 60 second swipe up tiktok kind of world i'm just like doesn't do it justice yes and i just feel like there's so many people who do it justice and they can play this game very well so i'm like fine honestly to be completely honest with you i'm working on connections in the academic space more than anything this is a teaching tool like this is educational music could be 
And if it takes that route, then awesome. I feel like there's more of a likelihood there that it takes off in that space than it does in the hip hop industry space now. I feel like there's potential there. But I mean, if I'm the only one who feels that there is, then like, no, no. I would love to have this resonate with some people in higher places in Dust for Yoli. It will take patience. And I have that patience. But like I said, it's rare to hear something out like this that takes years. And that's something I have accepted wholeheartedly. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed the work. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, anybody hearing any of this out at all is just very profoundly meaningful to me. Any time I could spend sharing something that I hope is worthwhile, as time well spent, especially, you know, like I feel like you get it, you know, and I always appreciate getting it with someone who gets it. So thank you, like truly. And I, that's all I can hope for, that you get something meaningful out of it. If you did, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gabriel Jacob Luan Singh. And thank you, Mr. Master. As always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson with theme music by Q-Burn's Abstract Message. For past episodes, web-only exclusives, to make a donation to support our production, and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, be safe, and stay in touch.